we've been in this journey through the book of Jonah. This is week three in our journey, and we continue today uh, talking about uh, God's call on Jonah's life, and, and the question is still out, right? Whether or not Jonah is actually going to listen to that, whether he's going to follow the Lord, or whether he's going to continue in his rebellion. You know, I'm always on the lookout for strange stories, interesting stories, uh, funny stories, uh, and there are plenty out there. If you follow any news outlet, uh, you're going to find some interesting stories out there. And one, just a few years ago, I, I came across one, a lady by the name of Lois Matikowski lost her wedding ring. And she had only been married for a short time. The ring was uninsured, so she searched high and low. Uh, everywhere she could think of, she never found it. She wasn't able to find it. So eventually she just gave up and replaced it. Um, well, a few years after that, uh, this was 2008, in 2014, her dog got, uh, swallowed a popsicle stick. Her dog was well known for stealing food and eating things that he wasn't supposed to eat swallowed a popsicle stick. She was concerned. She called the veterinarian. The veterinarian said, what you need to do is feed him a Vaseline sandwich. Because what happens when you do that, that causes your dog to throw up. Okay. So she fed him the Vaseline sandwich. Sure enough, it did its work. He coughed up the popsicle stick. But interestingly enough, two days later, he coughed up something else. He coughed up her wedding ring that had been lost for six years. She had given up. Veterinarian said the popsicle stick probably dislodged it somehow, and so she finally got her wedding ring back. Now, those stories are kind of hard to believe, right? I mean, I do believe it, but you read that and you think, really? Did that really happen? If you think that's hard to believe, let me share another one with you. A man, not a dog, not a wedding ring, but a man is swallowed by a fish for three days, lives inside that fish until the fish vomits him up on a shore. Now, on the surface, that's pretty tough to believe, right? But I want to go on the record here this morning, so there's no misunderstanding. I believe 100% that a fish swallowed Jonah literally, that Jonah literally lived inside that fish for three days until God told that fish to vomit him up on the shore. Now, I don't know if it was a whale or if it was just a big fish that God created for this specific purpose. But what I do know is that God's word said it happened, so that's enough for me. All right? I believe this happened because the God who created all that we see surely is capable of creating a fish big enough to swallow a man and is big enough to be able to keep that man alive inside that fish. And that's where we are today in our passage. Jonah has been thrown overboard and he has been stopped from running from God, and he finds himself in a pretty difficult predicament. Now, I've stated what I believe about the fish, but let me just give us all kind of a warning, all right? The, the danger here is to get, and with all the miracles that God performs, the danger is to get so caught up in the miracle itself to where we miss the message that God's trying to communicate. Uh, as a matter of fact, William Law said this, or not William Law, Thomas John Carlyle said, I was so obsessed with what was going on inside the well that I missed seeing what was going on inside of Jonah. And that's really the main point, what God is doing in the life of this prophet of his to bring him back into right relationship, into obedience to him. 
And, and we don't need to make the same mistake of getting caught up in the miracle to where we miss what's happening inside the man. So in this prayer that Jonah prays, where we pick up today, if we pay attention, we will see some valuable lessons that Jonah learns, some valuable realizations that he comes to. And that's what I want to do this morning. I just, I want to, to, to walk through this prayer together, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 1. We're going to go all the way through the second chapter, all the way through verse 10 of chapter 2. You can follow along with me. Verse 17 of chapter 1. The Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. And here's what happens inside this fish. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help in the belly of Sheol, and you heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and billows swept over me. But I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Finally, he's starting to get the message, right? The waters engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth with its prison bars closed behind me forever. But you raised me, raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah on dry land. Now we see this. And, and recognize that Jonah's in a pretty tough predicament. And in light of where he is reading this prayer, um, it's an amazing, amazing miracle in the life of God's prophet that he comes to the point to where he is, that he comes to the point of being repentant. Um, William Law said, He who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy and happy life. And in this fish, Jonah learned again how to pray. And my prayer this morning is that you and I will learn the same lessons that Jonah learned without having to go through all of the storm and the trials that he had to go through. So this morning, let's look. From Jonah's prayer, we can see some characteristics of true prayer. And these characteristics should exist in our prayer life, in our relationship with God. The first is this. The first is honesty. We need, our prayers need to be characterized by honesty. Unfortunately, so many Christians... Prayers are characterized by the opposite. We're either trying to cover up some sin that that God has already confronted us with that we don't want to get rid of, or we're trying to ignore circumstances that he has brought in our lives to try to get us, uh, get our attention, or we're trying to run away from him uh, instead of, instead of being what we should be the most honest people in the world, especially when it comes to prayer life, our prayer life before the Lord, we're the opposite of that. We should know better than anybody that we can't hide from God. We can't hide what's going on in our lives. He knows better than we do what's happening in our lives. And, but yet so many times we go through this, this crazy game of trying to hide what's going on in our lives. Instead of being honest about our trouble like Jonah is here, we 
pretend that we can pull one over on the Lord. In verses 3 through 6, we see Jonah acknowledge his trouble. I mean, he goes through the list, right? I was thrown overboard. The waves overcame me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I, I, was, I, I sunk to the depths. He knows where he is. He's honest about where he is. And he acknowledges that, that, that God is the one that brought him here. He, he, he's honest about how he got here, that God placed him here, but that he brought it on himself, right? I mean, he's, he's honest about his situation. He's not trying to pretend that, hey, this is somebody else's fault. It's not my fault that I got here. The sailors threw me over. No, he is honest about where he is. There's no one else to blame inside that fish but himself. And Jonah acknowledges this. And, and barring a miracle, he's, he, he's a dead man, right? I mean, there's really not a whole lot of hope for him inside this. And, and we need to remember that Jonah, not only, he not only acknowledges where he is, he, he acknowledges, again, that God caused it. Verse 3, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. Now, don't misunderstand here. Jonah's not angry with God. I mean, he's not saying, God, you did this to me. How dare you? He's just being real. He's saying, God, you caused this, but listen, it's my fault. It's me. I was disobedient. And because of that, I am in this situation. You can gain, we can gain some insight on this principle from Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn there if you want. We'll come back to Jonah. We're going to read verses 5 through 11 from Hebrews chapter 12. Great passage on this principle. In verse 5, the author of Hebrews says, you have, got, you have, have you forgotten to, the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Jonah's not making light of the Lord's discipline right now, is he? Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Don't fight. Don't run away. Don't give up. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure his divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and, and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvests of right living for those who are trained in this way. Here's the reality. How we respond to discipline, how we respond to discipline determines how much we're going to benefit from that discipline. If we... And, and, you know, Hebrews lays it out, okay? I mean, pretty much step by step, the options are there. In verse 5, we can fight God and we can run away. I mean, we can resist his discipline. We can, we can give up. We can grow faint. Same in verse 5, we can just give up. Um, we can resist God altogether. We can live in that turmoil of disobedience. Or we can submit to God's discipline, 
We can submit to his plan for our lives, and the result is that we mature, we grow in grace, and we grow in love, we grow in our faith. That's the only way. There are going to be times in our lives, because we're imperfect human beings, we make mistakes, there are going to be times where God chooses to discipline us, just like we have to discipline our kids in the hopes that they grow into responsible adults. And some kids require more than others. Some Christians require more discipline than others, right? But if we submit to that, how we respond determines whether or not we benefit. Just as with obedience and disobedience, there's consequences both ways. If we, if we run from it, if we fight it, there's going to be consequences. But if we submit, there are going to be positive consequences. We'll grow in our relationship with Christ. We'll grow in our faith. We'll become more like him. We have to be honest, with that, about our situation before God. That's one of the characteristics of true prayer. And honesty in regard to our sin also will include confession of sin. And that's the next characteristic. We got to be willing to confess our sins before God. Jonah is honestly confessing his sin before God. This confession is a step beyond honesty. And here's why. It's possible to be honest about your situation, about your sin, to acknowledge that God has caused it, but still be unrepentant about it. Repentance, church word, turn from sin, turn to God. It's, on, it's possible for me to say, you know what, God, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm living in disobedience. I'm sinning. I know this is wrong. It's possible to be honest about all of that and still not ask for forgiveness, right? I mean, there's a difference here. You can be honest and not repentant. What Jonah is displaying here through his confession is that not only is he honest with God, yeah, God, you're right, I've been doing things the wrong way. Now he begins to confess his sin. And we know this was a true confession in two ways. First, he acknowledged that everything that had happened to him while it was caused by God was ultimately Jonah's fault. It was his own fault. Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. Now an idol, what's an idol? An idol is anything that has to be physical. An idol is anything that takes the place in our lives that belongs to God. So for Jonah, why would he say this? Why would he quote this verse? What had become his idol? Well, his idol was him calling his own shots in his life, right? His idol was, God, I know what you want me to do. You want me to take this message to the Ninevites, but I don't want to do that. I don't like the Ninevites. I I don't want to accept this dangerous mission, which it was. I'm going to go my way. So my plan for my life, I, I would rather have as opposed to yours. His idol was that he wanted to be Lord of his life. He was his own idol, right? And so he's recognizing that in this moment. He's confessing to the Lord that, that I, I, have placed myself above you. And we do that anytime we have idols, anytime we place something above God or put something in our lives, in a place in our lives that belongs to the Lord. Another characteristic of confession is, is that I'm, I confess my sins, I ask for forgiveness, and I don't expect anything in return. That's the tricky part, right? I come to you, I confess my sins, I've done something wrong to you, Human nature says, you, I want you to forgive me right in that moment, right? In a perfect world, that's what would happen, but that's not always what happens. Or, hey, I, I'm going to get right with the Lord, so he's going to save my life, or he's going to rescue me from this trouble. But that's not always what happens. He'll, he'll save your life from an eternal perspective, but he may not 
take you out of that situation in the moment. Jonah comes before the Lord and he confesses his sin and he doesn't expect any, I mean, again, for all he knows, he's a dead man, right? He's not expecting anything from God. He is just overwhelmed by the seriousness of his sin. And so he does what we all should do when we're confronted with our sin. He conf- at this point, all he's doing is confessing and accepting. He's confessing his sin and he's accepting the consequences, which is the right way to approach God in prayer. When we realize the seriousness of our sin and Jonah's Next step, he moves beyond confession, and here's where he gets a little crazier, even more crazy, is that, that he moves now to thanksgiving. He begins to thank the Lord in the midst of this situation, which is another characteristic of true prayer, thanksgiving. Verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Now, it would be very easy to ask And some of you, maybe even myself before, have asked this question, what in the world does this guy have to be thankful for? I mean, just think about it. I'm not going to go too far because, you know, I do want to eat lunch in a little while. I'm not going to go too far down this road. But think about the living conditions in this moment. I mean, you know, it could not have been pleasant inside of this fish. But he confesses his sin. He's honest about his situation. Now he's thanking the Lord. Again, I say, it doesn't, he, for, at this point, he doesn't know that God is going to rescue him. But we have the advantage of looking at the completed story and seeing that, yeah, in just a few verses, you're going to be rescued. But in this moment, Jonah has no clue what God's going to do. He certainly doesn't know that he's going to rescue him. But here's here's why Jonah was thankful. Bottom line, Jonah was thankful because even though he didn't have hope at this moment of being rescued, he's thankful because once again he had found God's grace. Now think about it. Back up to the previous chapter, the midst of the storms raging. All these people are praying. All these sailors are praying. God's speaking through the storm. He's even using the sailors to get Jonah's attention. In the end, the sailors are confessing Yahweh. They're making a sacrifice to the one true God. All of these things, God is working in all of these ways and using everything in the scene in this moment is obeying God except Jonah himself. Jonah is asleep physically and spiritually. He is distant from the Lord. Well, now he has experienced the joy of being brought back into relationship with God. It doesn't matter where he is physically, he is overwhelmed with the grace of God. And that in and of itself, even if that's all you have is the grace of God, that's reason enough to be thankful. That is why Jonah is thankful. In his own words, verse 9, salvation, he has been saved by the Lord. And this is why he's thankful. He wasn't thankful that God had delivered him from the fish because that hasn't happened yet. He's not thankful that God's going to deliver him from the fish because he doesn't know that's going to happen. He's thankful because he has been brought back. God has used whatever it took, this storm, this fish, he has used everything he could and brought, he had gotten Jonah's attention. Jonah has confessed his sin. And once again, he is experiencing the joy of right relationship with his creator. He's thanking God because he is right with God. That that creator-creature relationship has been restored, not because of what Jonah did, but because of God's mercy, his long-suffering, and his indescribable grace. Romans 8.28, 
tells us, this isn't in your notes or on the screen, but, but this is what God does, right? It tells us that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Not that everything in life is good, but God can use it all. He can use the storm. He can use the fish. He can use people, your circumstances. He can use it all for his glory, for your good. Philippians 2.13 tells us also, for God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God can work in your circumstances and he will work in you to bring about his good purposes. And Jonah, in this moment, rediscovers the grace of God at the very moment that life seems the most hopeless. No hope of rescue, no hope of a future, but he's got the grace of God and that's all he needs. And it's also at this moment in a believer's life, when we come, when we're lost, when we come to that point to where we realize there's nothing in us that's good enough to get us to God, to make us right with God. It's at that moment where we confess our sins and we accept the gift of salvation only available through Jesus Christ. It's at that moment that the miracle of salvation happens in our life, that we experience it. As believers, if we run away from God, if we're backslidden as Jonah is, it's at that moment we realize our sin, that we come before God in honesty and total submission. It's at that moment that God begins to work miracles in our lives, in our hearts, and through us as we do things for his kingdom. And the greatest miracle of all in both of those situations is the miracle that we are able to have a relationship with God Almighty through his son, Jesus Christ. But there has to be confession. There has to be submission to the Lord. Honesty, true confession, thanksgiving. These are all parts of true prayer. And those are usually followed by sacrifice, which it is here in Jonah's life, in this prayer. Verse 9, as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. Now, you know, Jonah, he had run from God. He had fought God's will for his life. But let me tell you what, what amazes me about this verse. Jonah comes to God. He doesn't come to God as a Jew or a prophet deserving special privileges. He's a prophet of God. He's one of God's chosen people. Old Testament here. He doesn't come to God that way. How does he come to God? He comes to God as a sinner in need of forgiveness. Now, how many of us fall into that category? You, you want to you experience the grace of God? The only way is to come to God just as Jonah did. To come to God in total humility and total honesty as a sinner in need of forgiveness. To come to him on the basis of of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and that alone. That is the only way we can come to God. That's the only way we can have access to God. The Bible clearly says there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul reminds us, God saved you by his grace when you believed. All we do is accept, right? You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things that you have done. None of us can boast about it. But... If you come to God, you can't earn it. Nothing you can do to earn it, okay? Let's all agree on that. God's word's clear on that. On the other hand, if you come to him, as I said before, solely on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection, if you come to God on that basis and on that alone, then you experience the grace of God, which is the definition of grace. You can't earn grace. 
God gives it freely out of his love for his children. Come to God on the basis of his son and you will be saved. As I've shared with you before, I I like history and I like reading about biographies or reading biographies about history related figures. And several years ago, I wrote uh, Chuck Colson, Charles Colson's autobiography. And most of us know him from the Watergate scandal uh, during the Nixon administration. He played a key role in that. Um, And of course, later on, he founded Prison Fellowship Ministries. But in his autobiography, he talks about uh, that moment where he didn't know he was going to prison or not, if he was going to prison or not, and, and his life was, it was up in the air, and, and, and God began to place people in his life to draw him to, his, his, to, to himself. And uh, he, he didn't know anything about, really, the Lord, and he just knew that he was in trouble. And he knew by his own admission that, that one of the things that made him successful in politics, but one of the things that also caused him great uh, heartache was his own pride. His own admission, his biggest struggle was with pride. One night he was at a friend's house, Thomas Phillips, who was president of Raytheon Company at the time, he had just become a Christian and they were talking about this issue. And and, and Phillips was sharing, he had just accepted Christ, he was sharing his testimony with him and and he read an excerpt from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Here's what he read, this quote, the chief cause of misery in every nation is, in every family, since the world began, is pride. Pride is what keeps us from being honest before God. Confessing our sins is what keeps us from asking for forgiveness from those that we've hurt, right? From humbling ourselves. Well, obviously, because he knew he struggled with this, that struck a chord with Colson. And in that moment, he didn't show it, but he left Philip's house. And as he was driving home, he became overwhelmed with this conviction, He didn't even know what it was really, but he knew he was convicted. He pulls off the road and he just cries out to God. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't know anything really about his death on the cross. He just cried out to God. One of the most honest prayers I've ever heard. God, I don't know how to find you, but I'm going to try. I'm not much the way I am now, but somehow I want to give myself to you. Take me. That's That's all God wants, right? God, take me as I am. And again, in that moment, Colson knew nothing about salvation, but that was an honest prayer from a man under conviction that God had placed him under. And God heard that prayer and began to orchestrate events in his life that would ultimate, that would, that would culminate in Colson, Charles Colson, finding the knowledge of Jesus and experiencing the salvation only available in him. If God doesn't want you to be an expert in your field. He may let you do that. That's not his most important goal for your life. He doesn't care if you have a lot of money or a little money. He doesn't care if you're a famous athlete or if you succeed in graduates, you're about to embark on this new journey. God's God's greatest desire for you is not that you achieve some world fame, okay? What God wants is for you to give yourself to him to submit to his plan for your life, to come before him in total honesty for all of us, in honesty and humility. God, take me as I am and make me what you want me to be. If you'll do that, you may not be rich, you may not be successful, but you will have the joy of salvation that can be found nowhere else. See, Jonah in this fish realizes, hey, there's no hope for me. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I know I can have joy. I know I've got the grace of God, and that's all I need, so I'm going to sacrifice, he says. I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. 
And nobody has ever truly turned from their sin and turned to God without first acknowledging that there's nothing they can do to earn God's favor. And no one has ever experienced salvation unless they have come without coming to God on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ and that alone. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Why? Because Romans 6, 23 says, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, I'm far from, from perfect. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life and I'm not done yet. I'll make plenty more. But I've been saved, and I know I've been saved. And the reason I know it is because the Bible tells us in Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. God sacrificed his son for our sins. He saves us. It is by grace through faith, not because of anything that we've done so that we can boast. It is only by the grace of God, his work through his son, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we should be willing, he sacrificed for us. The least we should do is be willing to live our lives as a sacrifice for him, a living sacrifice for his glory. And at this point, that's where Jonah's at. This can only be done though, when partnered with true commitment. We've got to be willing to make a true commitment to the Lord. Commit ourselves completely to the Lord. And Jonah closes his prayer by making some vows. Vows that he really intended to keep. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 66, 13 and 14, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and will fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. You know, I... I Thinking a lot about student ministry lately, graduate day, our new student pastor is here today. He doesn't start till next week, so y'all give him a break, okay? He's here to, to hang out with you guys, with all of us. But uh, thinking about student ministry, I'm thinking about my student pastor growing up and something he used to say. He used to challenge us with it daily. Simple statement, but very profound. He said, you know, the commitments would say always, the commitments we make for today mean absolutely nothing for tomorrow. It's only the commitments we make tomorrow that have impact on tomorrow. And think about that. I'm not talking about salvation. You accept Christ, you're saved. Okay, let's, let's move off of that for a moment. What I'm talking about is daily submission, right? I can, you know, Jonah, he's a prophet of God. He had committed to the Lord in the past, right? But when he was asleep beneath that ship, was that commitment doing him any good? Absolutely not. It's only the commitment he's making right now. And we're going to see that commitment produce fruit. You know, my commitment... To God yesterday is doing me no good today. I have to wake up every day and submit to the Lord. I have to be willing to give my life to him today. Daily submission, daily commitment, because it's through my commitment. God saves me. He sets me free, but it's through daily submission. It's through commitment that I access God's power in my life. Let me show you what I mean. How many of you have ever played with an energy stick before? Y'all know what this is? Things are awesome. I had to take it away from my kids the other night after I got it. But it's, it just shows conductivity, right? You hold both ends and it creates a current. You break the connection, there's no current. I mean, you can have fun with it too. We, at one point the other night, I had all four of the kids and we were like holding hands and touching this. And you, know, you can hold hands and as long as you're touching that person and they're touching this, it creates a current. 
Well, the, the key is what with this? You've got to be connected, right? If I break the connection, there's no power. Well, that's the case with the Lord. I mean, just think of this as God's power. You know, I can be saved. I can be a child of God. But if I'm not connected to him, there's going to be no power in my life. So how are, do we stay connected to God? It's possible to be a follower of Christ and not be connected to the Lord in terms of having a right relationship with him. You know, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. You can't do that, but I can be out of fellowship. I can be backslidden like Jonah was. It's possible. So how do I stay connected to God? Well, it's through my commitment to him. It's through faithfulness, reading his word, following what his word tells me to do. The problem is, as with Jonah, many times things happen in our lives that break that connection. Again, Rewind to last week, Jonah wasn't very connected, and the reason he wasn't connected was because of what? He wasn't connected because there was sin in his life. So these are my sin gloves, okay? Represent sin. And so if there is sin in my life, that's going to be a barrier between myself and the Lord, and it doesn't matter if I touch this thing right or not. There's no connection because the gloves are keeping my skin from touching it. That's what sin does. It breaks the connection. It, it's a barrier between us and God. And you think, you take Jonah's prayer as a whole. Let's say he came to God and he said, okay, God, I, I realize I've sinned. So he's honest about his sin. He admits that he sinned, so he takes care of that part, but he hasn't confessed it yet. Still, no connection. It's both. It's possible to be honest about my sin and still not repent from my sin. So what Jonah does is he not, only can, he not only realizes his sin, he agrees with God about his sin, he then turns from his sin and confesses his sin, and then he is able to access the power of God once again. Now think about this. Jonah doesn't know it now, but he's about to experience the power of God in his life in an incredible way. For one thing, he's about to be vomited on the shore by a fish. Only God's power could do that. But then he's going to take a message of salvation to one of the most evil people the world has ever known, and they are going to listen and repent. The power of God. He doesn't know it yet, but it's coming. God's going to begin to speak to him again, which he hasn't done, and he's going to begin to speak through him again, which is something that we all should desire Jonah, it took a lot. Now listen, there's a lot of Jonas out here, right? A lot of us. There's a lot of us that are stubborn, and it takes more for some of us than others. But God will use whatever it takes. That same youth pastor that challenged me in the youth group later became the staff member that supervised me as I was on staff at my home church. And he told me I was struggling with my call to ministry. And I was dealing with adversity in the ministry, some challenges. You know, ministry is just, ch every job's challenging. And I was dealing with adversity in my life. And I remember he and I, we were roofing a house one day. We were on top of the roof and we were talking. And I was really struggling with, okay, is, this, is ministry really what I'm supposed to do? Because the adversity, I was thinking, you know, I, this really isn't worth it if this isn't what God's called me to do. And, and he, he told me something. You've heard this phrase before, but this first time I had heard it, he gave me some advice that has stuck with me ever since and that I'm reminded of and I share with others as I have the opportunity. He said, he said, Alan, 
God's building your character. He said, character is built through adversity and no other way. God builds our character through adversity. Jonah's undergoing some serious character building right now. Johnny Hunt said this, and I'll close with this. He said, being in the storm is not a happy place to be, but it sure is a healthy place to learn. Where are you right now in your life? Are you on the path of obedience? If so, pray for God's hedge of protection around you and praise the Lord, continue to obey the Lord and serve him. Are you running from God, asleep, spiritually? What's God going to have to do to get your attention? Are you in the midst of the storm? Follow Jonah's example. You can't change what the outcome is or isn't going to be, but you can rest in the grace of God and the security of God. And you can learn things in the midst of that storm that you can't learn anywhere else. Wherever you are, listen to the voice of God. Draw close to Him, and I guarantee you, He will draw close to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the salvation that You make available only through Jesus Christ, Your Son. And it's because of that sacrifice that You made through His death and resurrection that we can experience the joy of knowing you and growing in you. Lord, I don't know where everybody is in this room today, but I know that we represent different walks of life. We represent different circumstances, different experiences. And I just pray that wherever we are in this moment, that we would just listen to your voice. As you speak to us and challenge us, I pray that we would just respond to you in obedience. And Lord, if there's somebody here today And that call is is you calling them for the first time, drawing them to yourself. They haven't experienced salvation. Lord, I pray that, that today they would accept that gift, that today would be the day of salvation for them. If it's an issue of obedience or 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 something that you're calling us to do that we're resisting, Lord, I pray that we would just submit to you today, every day, that we would commit to you today, but tomorrow we would commit to you, and the next day we would continue to walk in obedience. Lord, right now in this time of commitment, I pray that you would just speak to us, draw us to yourself as only you can. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.